the Senior Golfer Advisor, dedicated to helping you, the senior golfer, drive it longer, play better, get healthier, and enjoy the game. I'm your host, Dean Davison. Let's get started. So, Sean, you've named your organization Wisdom in Golf. There's got to be a story behind choosing that name. Tell the audience a little bit about it. Well, you know, during my upbringing as a teacher, it was always like people would say, well, you got to name your system. I wanted something that was available for everyone. And, you know, I've been doing it for 35 years and, and I've studied anatomy in great depth. And that brought me students that were from the medical community that pointed me in the right direction to show me the neurology behind it, the evolution of the human being behind it. You know, I've accumulated about five, the equivalent of five doctorates worth of information to show you how to simply cut through a stem or throw a club. I said, okay, so what word encompasses what I do? And then, then, then I looked at wisdom. I looked in the dictionary and it says, wisdom is the ability to think and act using knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. It's associated with attributes such as unbiased judgment, compassion, experiential self-knowledge, self-transcendence, non-attachment. This is what you want to do. This is the feel you want to plug into it, deliver the feel, make an observation, go to the next shot. It's like a, every shot is a rebirth, you know? And that's why I call it wisdom and golf. Yeah, and, and giving the individual that you're working with the ability to have their own unique wisdom about how to play their game in, in a sense and, and taking from it all these different sciences that you've brought uh, in a very simple way. I mean, you don't come across as a technical guy. You come across as a very practical swing simple, but based on all these principles that you're talking about. That's why I say to my students, I say, people have taken lessons with me in my first 10 years. I want to give them all their money back. The only thing they would have gotten from me would be like uh, chipping and putting and how to get out of the bunker and how to manage your game on the golf course. But I taught some a lot of body part positioning stuff that, you know, you could see that I learned more from them than they did from me when it came to that. And once I started on the bandwagon of analogies and get the analogies to get you to a feel and then use the feel to deliver, I started getting some incredible results. And I've just been getting much better and being able to transmit that information much faster to my students, but yet having all that knowledge behind it, I, I know somebody can say, well, you know, that sounds a little too simplistic. I said, well, let me explain to you a little bit what's behind it. And then they realize, oh, crap, he really knows what he's talking about. And that makes a lot of sense. So now that I know that, I'm really going to stick with it. Well, I would agree. In the few videos that I've seen, I've spent several hours looking at them, but you clearly walk away feeling like you understand what's happening in a very um, consistent way so that you can start to self-correct if you're having any challenges because the golf swing is so simplified in the way you're doing it. I tell you, my favorite students now are beginners. They come in and they've had a couple of lessons and you know, nothing's worked. They're still topping the ball and slicing and all that. And, and so I said, okay, let's cut some grass. And then, you know, within 10 minutes, we have a ball that's consistently in the air. 
like consistently, no more topping. Then we play with the angle of the club face. We say, okay, why don't you cut the grass with this 45-degree closed club face, and let's see how the ball flies. And then they cut the grass with that club face, and they look up, and they go, oh, my God, I just hit a drum. And the ball rockets off the face, and their jaws on the ground, and they go, I did that. That's incredible. I've never hit the ball that far. I've never hit the ball that straight. And then you give them the means by which to, hey, cut grass and have fun you know, experimenting with how open or closed the club should be while you're cutting grass and then see transpires out there. They leave with a sense of accomplishment and they feel that their chest is puffed out and they go, man, I can do this. And there's nothing more rewarding for me to be able to pass that on where somebody comes in, you know, deflated and rounded shoulders and they go, I don't know if this game's for me. I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, you're my last hope. And they come out, they go, oh, my God, I'm going to get a membership. I'm going to buy some clubs. And they can't wait to get to the golf course. It's great to see. And yeah. Very, it's a, very it's phenomenal. Well, that's a nice segue. So I'll pose uh, several questions here. It'll give the audience some insights about you as a person, as an instructor, that I think will be helpful. So let me start off with, what are you most proud of in your golfing career? Well... I, the, the fact that I wouldn't change anything. I, I think the most, the, the thing I'm most proud of is sticking to my guns 35 years ago. When I saw what they were teaching and I saw that it didn't match human anatomy and I chose not to follow and to follow my own path and to believe in what I did. And I couldn't be prouder of myself for that. Excellent. What would you say is along the way was the toughest thing that you either had to learn or let go of to really become a good or a great instructor? Learn or let go of? Um, well, I think well, letting go of ego big time. It is so important to listen to your students, especially when I have you know, if I'm in a lesson and I'm struggling to get my point across or my word across, that's the magic moment where you got to knuckle down and bite down like a pit bull and don't let go because there's gold at the end of that exchange. Having all that knowledge and background and the ability to go around the situation and attack it from different angles there's no way I would have been able to do that had I not listened to other students. So when I'm giving a lesson, certain parts of that lesson, there's literally a stadium full of people speaking through my mouth. It's not just me. It's the feedback from all of my students that where that's where the goal is. Yeah, and I hear a certain amount of accountability that you're taking that if the student isn't learning, perhaps the teacher needs to change the way they're communicating. Absolutely. Absolutely, without a shred of a doubt. Yeah, really important. So you've mentioned a few along the way. You mentioned Gabrielle Wolf. You mentioned the folks from the PET scan. But my question was around the biggest influencers. And if there's just one, that would be great. But if you got a couple, the biggest influencers on you in your teaching philosophy? I would say Mo Norman is a big one. At one point, we went... Uh, yeah, we studied his swing for a solid five years straight, three of uh, the CPG professionals. And my cousin Charles, 
and another guy by the name of David Hill who's in Montreal. We just went to town and, you know, and hit balls every day and videotaped our swings and followed Mo around, videotaped a bunch of his clinics. I got out and I had the chance to go out and play with him a couple of times and have some beautiful exchanges with him. There was a lot of validation there and, and a lot of uh, guidance. And so I would say Mo Norman was a big one. And Bobby Jones, uh, you know, studying him because so basically all of the professionals that came through before me that used methods that coordinated or worked in harmony with human anatomy. You know, when I put my first David Ledbetter video in my VCR, right, uh, it's a beautiful big fat VHS tape in that dinosaur VCR back in the 80s. I was extremely disappointed at what I heard and, and how he was belittling his students and how, you know, he it was so restrictive and it was so body part oriented and it really didn't resonate with me because of my anatomical background. So all of the teachers of that era, like Jim McLean and David Ledbetter, and they were on the wrong path. And uh, it's showing up today, you know, finally that through all of these injuries that have happened through these tour players. And now they're going to a much more body friendly, full, full hip turn in the backswing. So I had to go back to Bobby Jones. And when I saw his, his Disney videos and I said, wow, there's a guy who's swinging properly and instinctively through anatomy. And then you look at Bubba Watson. He's never had a lesson in his life. You turn him, take his left-handed swing and flip it around and make it look right-handed. And it, and so many elements of Jack Nicholas's swing are in there. And Jack Nicholas, uh, his teacher is Jack Grout, and Jack Grout is from the same lineage as the teachers uh, that taught Bobby Jones, which, which is uh, Morrison. Yeah. So at one point when video analysis hit mainstream, then, then everybody started, you know, becoming body part oriented because they didn't like what they saw and they felt that they needed to nip and tuck all these body parts and that's where a lot of a lot of careers went by the wayside yeah really really good stuff i hope the listeners do get a hold of some of those bobby jones videos and take a look at them oh they are brilliant they are yeah, so beautiful bobby jones and mo and sam sneed big time sam sneed i would say uh, byron nelson for his mental approach more than his swing. His swing, I didn't, I didn't like as much as Bobby Jones's swing or Jack Nicholas's swing. And I'll combine that with the medical profession, <laughs> and then you, you got the right combination that led me to where I am today. How do you stay in shape? I've looked at your videos through the years, and you are in fabulous shape today, and perhaps even more so than you were ten years ago on some of those videos. But what are you doing to stay in such great shape? I learned how to eat. The book that basically added 20 years to my life is called uh, Grain Brain from Dr. David Perlmutter. Hmm. He's a neurologist that basically has the same background. He studied a lot. He pointed his compass in the right places by making the right diagnoses. So he didn't have a pill for Alzheimer's or dementia or epilepsy. And he's a neurologist out of Naples, Florida. And so he asked the question, what have you been eating? And after asking that question for 15, 20 years, he found a pattern, you know, then investigated on that pattern and realized, whoa, 
we're worrying the wrong stuff. And now he's traveling the world, showing people how to feed themselves better. And, you know, after reading his book, I basically followed it to the letter and lost 45 pounds in about 10 weeks. Wow. And now because I've lost a little bit of muscle mass in the process, I started a gym program. My daughter's boyfriend graduated from Queens University in kinesiology. He's put me on a fitness program now for about four months, five months now, since January, basically. I've gained about a club back in distance, distances that I had about 10 years ago. So I'm still carrying the ball 285 to 300 yards off the tee at 53. Awesome. Well, just to put a plug in for you, one of the videos I did see was you've got a fitness program on your website. And the exercise you were showing was essentially taking that big heavy rope that you see in a lot of the gyms and practicing with both your right arm and your left arm, backswing and forward swing using that. But that looked like a tremendous, very functional exercise for building power and strength. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I got to go try that one (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Well, uh, Munashe is, uh, you'll see on my website, you'll see... uh, the fitness page on wisdomandgolf.com. Well, now she's got three different programs there for novice, intermediate, and advanced that are golf-related programs. And for 199 bucks, he'll, he'll put a program together for you in three Skype sessions. So you, you really get your money's worth because he'll spend three half hours with you on you know uh, on a Skype session to make sure that you're performing the exercises properly. And so you basically have direct access to a top-notch personal trainer. Excellent. Good recommendation. Uh, Speaking of recommendations, best golf book that you've ever read? Legend of Bagger Vance. It blows away the movie. The movie, after you read the book, you'll you'll look at the movie and you'll go, oh, that's a disappointment. Pales, yes. Great choice. I couldn't put it down. It was fabulous. Say you're going to pick three people. And they're going to be your ideal foursome. Who would those be? And one quick sentence as to why. Um, I would say I would love to go play. I haven't been out to the British Isles yet. So I'd love to go out and play some links golf with Tom Watson. He's a poster boy for what we teach. I would go Tom Watson. And Bubba Watson, living or dead? No, they no. It could be anybody. They don't have to be living. Well, then Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones. Yeah, it'd be Bobby Jones, Tom Watson, and just for fun, we'll have Bubba in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about those three that would make them your ideal foursome? Watson for his wisdom. You watch when he when he almost won the British Open at age fifty nine. Yeah, I remember watching that. Caught a really bad break on the last hole. Yep. I mean, it was his. And and that's those are the you know that's the rub of the green in the British Open. That that means that so much has to go your way to win. I've seen Stuart Sink hit the ball in person. He is very spectacular. He is a force. The guy can really pound the ball, and he's intimidating. So, very tall, lanky guy, but man, can he pound it. I saw him at the Canadian Open a couple of years back, and I was, uh, my eyes were, were, he made my eyes open up 
much wider than <laughs> than I was expecting. <laughs> he was beat by a good guy, good player. Because uh, you know, everybody whines and complains about when the weather's bad, and you don't win five British Opens and the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. You look at the lineage there, right? That Pebble Beach is a very, very similar track to a British Open track. And then, obviously, you know, Bobby Jones and his demeanor, his calm demeanor on the golf course. And uh, mm-hmm. and I would say Byron Nelson would be the, the third guy I'd like to bring out as far as the wisdom is concerned. And I keep coming back to that. The difference between 44, 1944 and 1945, he scribbled a note after each round that he played competitively in 1944. And it was a simple scribble. It was... Uh, Second shot, missed, double bogey on hole number whatever. And then he would scribble a little note like that after every round. Toward the end of the season, he was playing in one tournament. And he was annoyed by a bunch of commotion. And he, he hits the anyway shot while he's being distracted. And double bogeys the hole and then scribbles right away, reaches into his, his little notebook and scribbles, careless shot. And then he realizes, wait a second, goes back a page. He says, that, I wasn't ready to that. That was a careless shot. And then he goes back another page and he cleans up the whole book by remembering how he wasn't ready, wasn't prepared, wrong option, whatever. So he made a commitment to himself that he was never going to hit another careless shot. 1945 comes around, and in the 30 events he enters, he wins 18 of those events. Oh, yeah, he hit that streak. 11 of which he wins in a row. None of which he was out of the top five. The 12th event he loses on purpose so he could get rid of all the riffraff that started following each event. There were reporters from other sports who were asking him ridiculous questions. He says, this is now a circus. Let me get rid of these people. So he loses the event on purpose and then comes back to normal and wins the next one. That year he retires because he says, I can't do any better than what I just did. This is like, you know, and that is the most glorious year that's ever been in golf. And it was strictly a resolve on not hitting a careless shot. Wow. That's it. That's it. Amazing. Well, a lot of the mental game in the in that group that's going to be playing in your ideal foursome. Mental toughness with every one of them. Awesome. That's it, because there's nothing wrong with the golf swing. You want to learn what the right options are. You want to see what are the options. I bet you Tom Watson's got 10 different options for one particular shot, and you thought this is an impossible shot. And he'll rattle off a bunch of different options that you can do on that particular hole. And so, number one, what are the options? Number two, what's your demeanor as you approach each shot? And we're really good at mirroring calm demeanors. There's so much to learn from the calm demeanors that Bobby Jones had in his prime and Tom Watson has in his prime. And, and of course, the great Byron Nelson. Yeah, awesome. Three real quick questions just for fun. And I'll throw one out at you that if just go with whatever your gut tells you. Funniest thing or most amazing thing that ever happened to you playing golf? Uh, hole in one for a vehicle that wasn't insured for professionals. <laughs> Which meant 
you were going to be in trouble if you drove it? No, no, because I, I, I get to a hole. There's a Buick rendezvous, uh, you know, as for a hole-in-one prize. That's when Tiger was in his prime, and the Buick rendezvous was a really popular vehicle. So I said, you know, we're due for a vehicle for my wife. You know, she's a, a soccer mom. So I said, all right, let me see what I need to do to put this in the hole. So I, I need to fire it a little right of the pin because the pin was tucked behind the left bunker, draw it back, and then try to get it in from there. So I do a nice rehearsal and a perfect release with that seven iron that lands three feet past the hole and sucks back in for an ace. And then everybody exploded. The golf course exploded. Somebody won the car. And it was for um, an event for charity. Yeah, yeah. That's a- so. Three holes later, somebody comes back out of the clubhouse and says, you had the hole-in-one, but I heard you're a certified professional. I said, yeah, I'm an assistant pro. I play once a week. And they said, well, since you're a pro, you're not allowed to have the prize because we didn't insure it for professionals. So they weren't going to get paid. So, you know, I just got the card tags, uh, the key tags. That's all I got. And I wasn't going to sue a charity, you know, I wasn't going to go that way. So it, it was a pretty interesting story. And, I, and of course, I called my wife right after I won it. And then three holes later, I had to call her back and say, yeah, no, we don't have it anymore. Oh, boy. Made a great story, but uh, could have had a, one of those dreamlike endings, too. Hey, favorite band from the 60s, 70s or 80s? ACDC. Yeah. And how about after a round of golf? What's your favorite beverage? Um, just a club soda with uh, lime or a little bit of cranberry juice. I'm allergic to every grain in the book, so I can't do beer and I'm allergic to grapes and I can't do wine. If I drink anything, I'll have a migraine, so I just stay away. From Keep it healthy. Well, this was fantastic. We covered so much ground. It's going to be terrific for the listeners, and I want to thank you again for being part of the show. Again, it's uh, Sean Clement, uh, the founder. It's good for golf, and you know it's it's great that you're doing this too. So it's important for the game. I'm having a blast. 